somehow somehow they they see whatever it is they need to see from that choice you've made even if it's not the choice that they think is right for the project they may see something in you that that they think is right and they know that you can change the choice that you've made and you can play it in a different way and welcome to the social fabric podcast i'm your host andreas blindori and this week my guest is lindsay Bouchamp. lindsay is an actor with experience in theater cinema and television she recently appeared in the series Genius about the life of Albert Einstein and in the movie My Foolish Heart alongside Steve Wall, the story of Chet Baker. The music in this podcast is shortened for rights reason. The program is also broadcast weekly on Near FM 90.3. Please subscribe, share and review. It's the only way independent podcasts like this get a chance to survive. The title song is Alice by Lucky Bones. Can I call you up, oh Alice, on a Friday night? We could reminisce on old days and we could talk a while. Just sit and talk a while. Okay, well, look, uh, Alice, we got something. Uh, for whatever reason, it kills off. I'll call you back. We'll figure it out. Unfortunately, that's what it is. Yeah, so, no worries. Hey, <laughs> Lindsay Bushamp, thanks a million for giving me the time to have a chat across the across the pond, as we say, from this side of the the, the Irish Sea. Um, you were telling me just before we got uh, technical difficulties that uh, you're on the Norfolk um coast and tell yeah, me just near it. yeah tell me let's just start from the coronavirus because that's uh, it's just yeah. a new reality and i'd like to get everybody's perspective on it yeah absolutely um i mean it, it's uh yeah it's it's all really strange um and you know i i mean i'm i'm sure like all of us you know i have many different thoughts about it at different times on different days and one of the things i was thinking a few days ago about it was that i i feel sort of very um accidentally very well prepared for what's happening because i'm i'm um you know i'm an actor and i you know i do a few other things as well but all the stuff i do is pretty much freelance um i never know what the future's going to hold um i my window of pla- of forward planning is quite short so um you know before this happened i still didn't know what i was going to be doing two or three weeks you know from now anyway um and i think it's a very real thing that you know we really don't know the future but we pretend as if we do and we act as if we we you know we are, we're certain that we're going to be in this place at this time doing this thing on this day at some point in an abstract future and the reality is is that we 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 never know that because the future is abstract and so i feel it it's sort of um I'm very aware of this because my my life is quite like this all of the time, you know. And I live by myself um and I've lived by myself for, you know, 20 25 years whatever it is and uh you know, so it's not as if I'm separated from family members because I ended up having to self isolate far away from them or whatever. Um what's different about this time for me is that I I I actually have so much time. Um but like everyone else i found a load of things to be busy with but i i um i normally spend quite a lot of time traveling rushing around i very rarely spend more than two consecutive nights in my own home i've now been in my own home for you know whatever it is five five weeks or something like that and um that that's kind of never happened <laughs> really since i was since i was grown up so it it's for me it's there's something you know i i hesitate to say this because i i know that it's a terrible thing and and so many people are suffering and there's this so many terrible things happening as well as wonderful things but for me this time has turned out to be quite um revolutionary in a way it's been very precious to have this time it's given me space to open up and do other things and think about other things that I don't normally have time 
to do or to think about. Um, and I find it, you know, there's an aspect of it for me, um, which is, you know, which is a real gift. Um, it's a real gift to have this time and to be able to take a step back from, you know, what I think many of us live a life which is just, you know, full of activity, full of busyness. There's very little time to stop and reflect. Um, and we keep going because the, the world that we live in demands our participation in this kind of endless churning of involvement and productivity. And, you know, some people are still doing that from home or whatever, but people like me, you know, actors and other freelancers, um, you know, self-employed people, um, you know, don't, don't necessarily have to continue to participate in that. And that can be very difficult for some people. And for me, it's just, I just love it. And I, it's just wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm apologize to anyone who feels upset by what I've said because of all the suffering and the pain. And I, I absolutely know that and live it and feel it like we all are doing. Um, but there's an aspect of this for me, which is, is very freeing. And I, I am loving that and focusing on that because it's such a positive thing. Brilliant. Tell me in terms of, um, I know you're living on your own, but in terms of your community there, what, what is it like? I mean, are you all pulling in together or are you all staying away from each other? Well, obviously staying away within the limits of, but are you looking after each other? Yeah. Well, I live in a very small village. Um, as I say, it's quite near the North Norfolk coast. Um, it's, uh, it's, um, there's a, you know, it, it's, it's a village which has a community because there's a very active um, sort of pub, shop, church, school, post office kind of aspect to it. We also have a tractor shop in the village, which, you know, because it's a, it's a, it's a farming community and this is not stopping the farmers, you know, they're still out there in their tractors, you know, doing what they need to do at this time of year with this especially incredible weather that we're having. Um, and obviously the church is closed, the pub is closed, but is still um, uh, sort of making meals to take away if people need them. The shop is open and the shop has been, you know, open all the time and, you know, still with everything it normally has. It's a very good village shop which sells almost everything. And there's a community group which is spearheaded by the local church um, which for anyone who can't get to the shop or who doesn't want to leave their home, they are taking orders. Um, they are delivering orders um, to people in and around the village, um, you know, who need that help and that support. And that's something that I, I personally haven't become involved in that, but it's something that I could become involved in um, and may well do because from my perspective, I'm not quite sure. I don't really see this ending anytime soon in a meaningful way you know I don't really see how it can and so I think these things are opportunities we all have and um, I'm very fortunate that um, I have a very there's a uh, um, I do eat meat and there is a butcher two or three villages away who will deliver and um, they rear and slaughter all their own sort of meat and produce everything is effectively free range and um, so I know that those sorts of deliveries are coming from sources that are traceable and sustainable mm. and all of that. So I feel, I mean, I, I could not really ask for a better place to be self-isolating from, you know. Fabulous. <laughs> Fabulous. Yeah, yeah. And um, so Very tell lucky. me about uh, your first choice. Uh, you had this uh, beautiful Rosalia Malamente. Oh. Yeah. Why did you pick that song? Oh, well, I just, I'm really into flamenco. Um, like one of these boring non-Spanish people that just loves everything <laughs> to do with Spanish culture. And I love that aspect of flamenco, which is um, known as duende, which is a, a, um, a word that's hard to translate from the Spanish, but it's to do with a sense of spirit or soul or passion um, um, uh, really a sort of uh, an, an, a, a kind of an emotional or spiritual expression which comes from the very deepest part of the human being 
thing and that is an aspect of flamenco which i which i love and um and rosalia i found a very exciting artist because she she you know this is a very modern flamenco and you know i think flamenco you can argue that flamenco real flamenco doesn't kind of exist anymore because um you know it was created in the in the in the slums in in andalusia and it's now become a kind of art form that tourists go to see and all that stuff and you can you can argue that it doesn't really exist but people are still finding themselves in that culture and finding meaning in that culture and reinventing it for themselves and um about 18 months ago i would i go to spain regularly in a normal year and um and uh, i was there about 18 months ago and i saw uh, a number of very modern expressions of flamenco in terms of both dance and guitar and of singing and so i love all that and i i love what she's doing ese gritalito roto yo sentí como crujía ante la casa suero Sabía que se rompía uh, Estaba parpadeando La luz del descansillo Una voz de la escalera Alguien cruzando el pasillo I came across you when you, um, I went to see uh, Steve Wolves in the in the movie uh, This Foolish Heart, and I will ask mm. you all about that in a second. So I know absolutely nothing about you, right? And uh, <laughs> which is great. It's a great way to get into a conversation because then it's just a blank canvas. So tell me a little bit sure. about you. Just I, all I know that you were born in Canada, I think, and that's about all I know. So give us a little bit, a, a, a quick fast forward from Canada to today. A little, no, but even, even from Canada to to the end of schooling just a little bit okay well um i was born in st john in new brunswick in canada because that's where my parents were when i was born um my older brother and sister were born in different places my my brother was born in california my sister was born in texas um my mother came from alaska um and is part uh clinket native american and my father came from oklahoma although he was brought up in california Um so we we you know we're 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 all gypsies and you know like all Americans we're you know a a huge mixture of um you know different races and cultures and uh so yeah my parents were American I happened to be born in Canada I spent the part, uh, bulk of my early childhood in California um growing up in and around the bay area so san francisco arinda walnut creek um all of these places very near the coast you know very near the pacific um and then um a little bit of time in alaska too when i was very young um and then uh when i was 10 years old uh the family moved to london because of my father's work he was working for a engineering company who had a lot of projects in the middle east and it was a long commute from san francisco to the middle east and back again so they based a, a significant number of uh employee families in london and it was only going to be for a year or two and uh, it turned out in my case to be forever um i was the youngest in my family so gradually uh, you know we all went to the american school in london and gradually my older brother went back for university my older sister went back for university and by the time i got to that stage i realized that i wanted to you know i felt like i'd grown up in britain i uh, felt culturally very at home in britain whereas i did not feel that in america um I knew I wanted to go to drama school and be an actor and I loved Shakespeare and the Royal Shakespeare Company and I wanted to do theater and all of that stuff and so for me I very much wanted to stay and I had a bit of a um bit of a struggle with my family or with my parents I should say regarding that because they didn't want me to and it came to a point with my parents where they said um okay well you know if you can get into a drama school you can you can go and you can stay but if you don't get in you have to come back and coming back meant they they were now at that stage living in Houston in Texas and i don't know if you've ever been to Houston in Texas but um it's <laughs> at that time it was i just in the back of my mind i was thinking okay i have to get into drama school but 
let me tell you, mother and father, if I don't get into drama school, I'm still not going to come back to Texas. So, <laughs> but luckily I did get into drama school. And so um, I did go to drama school. And because, um, you know, the immigration laws were slightly different then I was automatically a UK resident. So I had Canadian citizenship from birth, American citizenship from my parents. And then eventually I became naturalized as a British citizen because I've made my entire life here. So that's a long, that's a long answer. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> that's perfect. But you, one, one, no, that, that's very perfect. And I have a couple more questions in a second, but I'm just curious. You just say something about your mother having a part clinket. Is that what you call it? Yes, that's right. Yes. That's yes. it. I've never been to Alaska. I, I just love the idea of Alaska um, predominantly yeah. through uh, televisions and movies. Yeah. What is the clinker? Is it is it kind of is, am I right? Is it like the Eskimo? It's it's. I mean, it's not it's not Eskimo. It's a distinct um, uh, uh, sort of tribal group, native group. Um, but it is from that um, far northwest um, North American area. Um, and Clinkit, uh, it's spelled T-L-I-N-G-I-T, if anybody wants to look it up, because that's not how it's pronounced. And um, yes, I mean, it's, a, it's, you know, it's only been in the last few years that my brother and sister and I have started to delve into our family history, and we're trying to find out as much as we can. Um, my mother, unfortunately, died when I was 18 years old, and her mother had died when she was 21 years old. So I never met my maternal grandmother. Mm. Um, and it was my maternal great-grandmother who was full clinket, and her name was Anne Andusha. And we can't find any records about her yet because, um, you know, at the time that she was living, um, you know, Alaska was not a state, it was a territory. Um, if you had native heritage in your background at that time, you were, it was not a thing that you were, you know, particularly proud of or telling people about, you know, it was unfortunately, you know, people were essentially trying to erase it out of, out of um, history. And so um, we don't have any records, but because of her name being Anne Andusha, we know that she was the sister of someone called Chief John, and we know that we suspect that she might have been raised. Um, and there's there's a an element of it which I've only just learned about, which is to do with Russian missionaries in Alaska uh, who renamed the natives with Russian names. So because Andusha sounds a bit like a Russian name, we think that that could be, there could be an element of it in there. But I mean, it's like an, it's an absolute, you know, it's like a, it's like a wormhole into a different universe, you know, starting to explore all of that. Fantastic. So exciting. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay. Well, tell me about then Led Zeppelin rain song. Where's that come from? <laughs> oh, well, I'm just a massive Led Zeppelin freak, basically. Um, That's fair enough. I, you know, I was, I saw them live, you know, when I was uh, probably far too young to be going out to those kinds of concerts. Um, I completely, completely uh, loved them when I was growing up. And when I was, you know, when I was a teenager, I was in all kinds of different sort of music, but I was heavily, heavily into Led Zepp and, and that has kind of never left me. <laughs> and, um, and I was just sort of reminded of the rain song quite recently because um, a friend of mine who's a, a singer, songwriter, actor, musician called John Carlin recently posted on Facebook, sort of privately, so unfortunately I'm not able to share it, but he posted a cover of the rain song, which just reminded me of a phenomenal Powerful song it is, um, you know. So, uh, so yeah, yeah, I love it. <laughs> Sunlight in my clothing 
I'm gonna jump around a little bit. I don't want to go chronologically sure. because I <clears throat> just sure. just to mix it up a little bit. But uh, so this foolish heart, uh, amazing mm. movie. Uh, I know Steve, obviously Steve Wall personally for a long time, and uh, I knew yeah. he'd done a little bit of acting. But uh, yeah. I came today. I think you were there. I came today. The opening in Dublin. Yes, I was there. Yeah, we're there. Yeah. Great night. <laughs> it was a fantastic night. And in fairness, you were fantastic in the movie. Oh, it, it, you're genuine. You. And I love the movie. I urge anybody mm. to go and look at it. It's the story of Chet Baker. Um, mm. Tell me about your experience because it's, I don't know what the right word is. It's an unusual movie. Yes. Uh, but it's very, yes. very nice. Very, um, quite hard to watch in a way. Mm. But mm, yes. Um, so tell me about your experience as the actor in it. Well, um, yes. I mean, God, uh, there's there's so there's so much that could be told about it. Um, first of all, just to say that the film's actually called My Foolish Heart. Oh, My um, Foolish Heart. I'm sorry. Anybody's in, that's okay. No, just in case anybody's looking for it. But um, I think the direction the, the director originally was making a very um, unusual film um kind of quite a psychological and archetypal kind of film the original script had characters like the devil in it and um you know he really had it he really wanted to kind of tell a big story um because of loving chet baker's music and and sort of looking at chet's character in life as much as he much as anyone can discern that in terms of these these archetypal forces um, that inform all of us, really. And um, that, I think, I mean, I never saw, you know, when the, when the film finally came out, certain aspects had been cut. And, for example, the character of the devil had been cut. And I have no idea how the film would be if it hadn't been cut, you know, because I think the film still retains traces of this very sort of psychological, archetypal treatment of the character and the story of Chet and and there are just aspects of it which are more you might call kind of uh, normal narrative linear filmmaking but it is a very unusual film I, I found it quite a quite a powerful film and I've seen it now maybe four or five times watching it with friends and that sort of thing and the more I watch it the kind of the more I think it speaks to that slightly almost unconscious level from which we can watch things you know we watch things consciously there's an unconscious part of ourself which is also responding um and we're not really aware of it but i think that the film speaks to that so you know it's not for everybody that's for sure but um i think it's an amazing film really and i i got involved um really just kind of out of the blue i had a you know a, a call from my agent saying could you put yourself on tape for this you know Dutch film and it was I it was it, it came at the worst possible time because I was just finished finishing a theatre job in Lancaster I was doing a new play in Lancaster and I had um the play finished on the Saturday the self-tape was due on the Monday and on the Sunday, I had to drive from Lancaster back to Norfolk to turn myself around because on Monday night, I was having to fly to Prague to start filming an episode of something called Genius, um, which was about the, the first one in that series, which was about Einstein. So I literally only had this one day in which I had to drive for five hours. I had to move back from Lancaster to Norfolk and then turn myself around and get to the airport. and. And I had to do the self-tape and I was like, oh, I just don't know how I'm going to do this, but I'm just going to do it. And I remember doing it and sending it off and thinking, wow, I'm never going to hear from them. <laughs> <laughs> and then a few days later, I was offered it. So I, you know, I just, there's no, <laughs> there's no mystery to it. But, but the scene that the director sent for me to self-tape is in the movie and it's the scene after the character I play, um, Sarah, uh, leaves Chet and goes back, goes back to the States and he's begging her to come back and he calls her from a payphone in Amsterdam and she's listening to him on the phone and he's singing down the line to her to, to just try to get her to, to come back to him. And, 
And I couldn't think how to do this because I'm self-taping myself on a phone call. So, and so I just found on YouTube some, some Chet Baker and I recorded that on voice memo. And then I kind of put that in the background while I was filming myself to kind of make it like I was listening to the story. I mean, I thought it was like the, one of the craziest things I've ever done in a self-tape, but I guess they liked it. I don't know. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, well, you, it's great. It's a great movie. Uh, it's uh, well Thank worth uh, going to see it. Well, then the song you have is Chet Baker, If I Should Lose yeah. You. What a fabulous yeah. tune. Well, it's an amazing tune. And, and um, you know, the character I play uh, has a different name, but is based on a real person who is still living. And um, this song is a connection with that. And it is just the most, I just think it's so beautiful. Um, there's something very hypnotic and it's a cliche to say it, but, you know, obviously Chet was a massive heroin addict. And there is something narcotic about his music. It's sort of, there's just something so compelling and evocative and you just, it does kind of put you into a different kind of state when you listen to it. Or at least that's how it affected me and particularly when I was making the movie. So that's all part of it, you know. stay with acting for a second um, you mentioned the self-tape uh, I have had a few actors on the on the podcast and, and it's a question I didn't think I asked everybody but it always fascinates me you just mentioned the the basically the audition the self-tape mm. and you've been an actor for a while uh, is yeah. it's it's the self-tape versus going into in front of the the, the director the playwright or whoever it is what's that like and what's it like today as opposed to whatever, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, the, your first job. What's, what's oh, it like? God, I mean, well, self-tapes appeared quite suddenly on the scene um, uh, four or five years ago in my experience. And it was this new thing. And it was like, oh, my God, getting to grips with the technology and all of that. <laughs> and, and, you know, you, I sort of thought at the time when I did my first one, oh, you know, I guess I'll have to do this every so often. That is kind of how it's done now. Um, I mean, we all do a lot of self-tapes now, and it's how casting directors and directors essentially shortlist, I think. You know, they, they get people to tape, and then, then they actually only meet a, a small selection of those people. And sometimes you don't even get a meeting. I have done three or four jobs where they've cast me, like with My Foolish Heart, they've cast me directly from the tape. Um, so it, it's sort of become quite high stakes, you know, <laughs> you, you kind of go, oh, I'm just going to put myself on tape and, you know, send it off. And it's like, no, actually, I really need to get this as right as I can, because this is my one shot at this, at this role in front of these people. Yeah. That's, that's the question I have. Like, again, I, I never done it, but you, mm. you see this, the, the audition, the actor walking in and there's a couple of people behind the table. You have an immediate reaction while you're standing there. Self-tape in your sitting room. I mean, how do you get that feeling that you're doing it right? I mean, you keep doing it. How, how it I don't even know if you ever know if you are okay. doing it right. I mean, all, all you're doing is your, your, your take on the scene that they sent you and the character, your, your choice, you know, you have to make a choice. You have generally very little information. The scene could be anything. Sometimes it's clear from the scene and the way it's written and the action in it is sort of what's going on and how you should go with it. Mm -hmm. But like anything you can, you can do it in, you know, so many different ways. Um, you know, if the scene they send isn't, isn't hugely long. I will sometimes give them two different versions of it just, just so that, you know, I can kind of say, well, there are different ways of doing this. How should we do it? You know, but generally speaking, you just, you just make a choice and 
somehow, somehow they, they see whatever it is they need to see from that choice you've made, even if it's not the choice that they think is right for the project. They may see something in you that, that they think is right and they know that you can change the choice that you've made and you can play it in a different way. And so, you know, there, there's a big thing about just not second guessing what it is that they are looking for because very often they don't know what they're looking for or they have an idea of what they want but but they're really willing for that idea to just be blown out of the water if somebody comes along and 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 shows them something that they didn't know they were looking for so the only thing you can really do is just just offer what you have in that moment in the time that you have to do it which is usually turning it around in a day or two days you know it's very quick so you know, wow. that's what you have. Wow, I'm glad I don't have to do them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the disadvantage, I guess, I mean, when you go into a room with people, you can always kind of, you know, try and, I don't know, use your personality to, you yeah, know, charm them. Charm them in some way, you know, and, and, and that's all great, but that doesn't necessarily make you right for the part. It just makes you feel good about what you've done. And the thing that's slightly more honest about self-tapes is you can't do that. So you just have to send it off and let it go. You know, it's Very good. Crazy, but yeah. <laughs> um, okay. The, the next uh, piece you have is Chopin, uh, the Nocturne in mm. G minor. And you specifically mm -hmm. asked for it uh, performed by Viv McLean. Yeah. Why is yeah. that? And then why that tune? Well, I just, I love Chopin. I love the nocturnes. I mean, ideally one should listen to all the nocturnes sequentially in a, you know, at midnight in a room lit by candles with absolutely no extraneous noise. Um, of course, it's pretty hard to do that. But, um, but no, I just, and there's just something, I don't know, the whole Chopin story, the whole you know, the whole biography aspect and him and Georges Sand and their, their, you know, their relationship and their letters and all of that is, it's all just so fascinating to me. And um, I asked for the performance by Viv because Viv is a, um, Viv is actually a friend of mine. Um, and he's, uh, I, you know, he's an incredible concert pianist, um, slightly underrated in my view, because he's my favorite concert pianist, but he's not as well known as, as many of the others, and he is also a friend, and, and uh, I uh, find his interpretation of Chopin to be especially um, beautifully sensitive and um, uh, sort of exquisitely phrased. And so I love, you know, I love how he interprets that. So um, that would be my that would be my choice. That version of that particular. Even just by telling me about Chopin, I mean, I love classical music. I never went into the detail you've just been in terms of mm. understanding and appreciating it, um, which I suppose, am I correct in saying um, it goes with the territory of you learning your script, to learning your plays, it, it, you know, that depth of, you know, having to get into something, into that depth. Mm. Is that part of who you are, how you develop profession? Absolutely. I mean, you, you, I think you really put your finger on it because I think, I think if you respond to something creatively, like a piece of music or a book or, or, you know, a film, it, it, for me anyway, it just feels very natural to dive into it and find out more about it. And I think part of, um, part of our job as human beings and, and, you know, maybe actors focus on this more, but it's everyone's job is, is really to understand and to illuminate human nature in some kind of way. And, you know, um, being able to discover and explore, um, you know, like I, I really, I knew a bit about Chet Baker's music before doing the movie about him, um, but not a huge amount. And I did a, did a crash course a bit I think a bit like Steve did you know suddenly a crash course in like I need to find out everything I can about Chet Baker and and it's just amazing when you do dive into something like that what 
incredible riches there are. And of course, you're, you know, as an actor, you, you, the art is an interpretive one. I can never say that word. <laughs> I don't know if I put an extra syllable in there, but, you know, you're, you're, you're sort of diving into to your, your character's life if it's, or, or your, imagine, your imagined character's life if it's fiction. To, to see what mirrors in them and mirrors in you and the things that you share and things that you that you can connect with so that you can you know try and try and put yourself in that place and then your expression will be coming from that place hopefully um, that's authentic for the character um, you know we all have different ways of working but I definitely try to do that I really you know I'm fascinated by you know, I'm fascinated by psychology, mythology, um, uh, spirituality, um, you know, the things, the things that make us all tick in some kind of way. What's under the veil? You know, what's behind, you know, what's behind what someone says? You know, someone could say something very simple. A line of dialogue could just be, oh, I'd like sugar in my coffee. But the, the what is underneath that, the weight of the subtext and what has led them to that choice. And I mean, that's a kind of silly example, but you know, it, it's, there's all of that mining that you can do and, and you never get to the end of it because you never get to the end of a human being. You know, yeah. it's just, it's sort of wonderful. And you, you do a lot of theater. Um, mm. yeah. That's, that's your um, predominantly what, you, what you've been doing. Um, if, in terms of a character, I don't expect you to give me your favorite character, but is it something that stands out that you, you that you just don't, well, you just described, where you really immerse yourself so much in that you obviously became him, her, whatever, mm. and that it just really stood out? Oh, golly. Um, it... Yeah, it's very, it's very difficult because I kind of do that with all of them, even, mm -hmm. like, the really, you know, kind of... Sure. Yeah, I know. I would have. I would have expected that. Yeah. I would have expected that answer, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, but I guess so let me let me rephrase the question then. Um, that the, you know, in terms of uh, getting under the veil, as you call it, um, the character there. You know, we we grew up. I don't know. I, I growing up, I was into the the, the superheroes. I wanted to be Spider Man, whoever. Right, you know, I can't. Right. I think it was Spider Man was my man. But you know, you became you became an actor and you got to play parts that I'm sure you have one or two that you I love one of these days to be and you became that or oh god well it's very you see it's so it's so hard but I'll give you one example two. which is it is only one example yeah um I played this it was in the theater a lot of the stuff I've loved doing the most has actually been in film and and uh TV, but this was in the theater and a few years ago I did a production of a play called Volpone by Ben Johnson um, and there's a character in Volpone called Mosca and Mosca is a manservant to Volpone and is the typical way of casting is that Volpone uh, uh, Volpone is is a sort of uh, you know kind of uh, uh, big, fat, larger than life, hungry, greedy, lusty, you know, all of this. And, and Mosca is, is a kind of, it, it's, you know, based on the word fly and it's like buzzing around, you know, serving his master's needs, whatever his master craves, he makes it his job to go and get it for him. And he's sort of mercurial and quicksilver and blah, blah, blah. And uh, so it's normally played by a, a younger man. Um, and, uh, I did this production and they decided they wanted to reverse that and have Mosca played by an older woman and Volpone played by a younger man. So, so we did this and, and uh, I just, I, I remember getting the audition, finding out about it, reading about it and thinking, I have to play this part. I have to play this part. And, and I felt that because Mosca is, is that it's the absolute quintessential part for an actor because Mosca gives a different face to a different person with every single conversation Mosca has. Uh, in my case, she appeared to be a different person. So she was constantly conning every single person that she came into contact with and making them believe something for real um, and letting the audience in on the joke all the time. And, and so it was like, a, it was just like the most fantastic excuse 
you know, I, I, to, to be this sort of person who just appears to be whatever they want to be to whoever they or whoever they need to be to whoever they're with at the time. You know, there was no idea of, of a consistency of character, you know, and most of the time we imagine ourselves to have a consistency of character. This is me and this is what I do and this is how I am. And um, the idea that character is not consistent is quite a shocking one. And so to play a role where you can actually revel in the idea that you, you can be anything is sort of exciting. I found it hugely exciting. And it sort of harked me back to a memory of when I was, I, I knew I was going to be a, an actor from a very young age. And uh, like a lot of children, I used to, you know, we all played and pretended and everything. But I remember specifically when I was about five or six years old, deciding that I was going to convince my mother that something terrible had happened and that I was going to do this by crying and crying to the point where I would, was just not able to speak or explain to her what had happened. And I did this and my mother bought it hook, line and sinker. And at the end of, you know, whenever I ran out of energy to kind of do that, I just kind of looked at her and everything dissolved and I just took a breath and I kind of laughed and then I ran away. And she must have thought she had a lunatic on her hands. But it's just <laughs> that, it's just that sort of, I don't know, ability to, to pull anything out of yourself and express it. And that's what I loved about playing that part. You know, you, it's, it's a great part for any actor. Fantastic. Okay, uh, brilliant. So Prince, Black Muse. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, we've just had the fourth anniversary of, of his death. And I'm, you know, I just like to say that I'm not over it. And uh, I, I, you know, I, I kind of, when Prince died, I just for, had a, had a, for a moment, I really understood those people who still believe that Elvis lives because my, the degree of denial with which I met that news was so strong that I just kept thinking in the days after it happened, I just kept thinking, no, no, this is, this is another one of his tricks, another one of his games. You know, he's, he's hiding in his vault and, you know, he's going to come out again, <laughs> you know, and all of this. I mean, you know, Jesus, uh, excuse my language, but I just, okay. you know, I'm a huge, huge, huge fan. Um, saw him live on a number of occasions, was fortunate enough to do that. Um, and, you know, I could have chosen any track, but I think what's um, something that's kind of pissed me off, um, you know, since he died was that whenever you hear Prince on the radio or people talking about him, it's always Purple Rain or Raspberry Beret or 1999 or Let's Go Crazy. You know, the, 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 the vast amount of music he produced and we still don't even have, you know... <laughs> even the majority of it, because there's still so much that's unreleased, but the vast amount he produced. And, um, you know, for, for everyone to suddenly, for it only to be about those songs, just, just, you know, I didn't get into Prince until long after that time. I didn't get into Prince until Diamonds and Pearls. And, and you know, people talk about Prince in quasi-religious terms, and I, I kind of understand that, because I was at a friend's house when I first heard Diamonds and Pearls, and there's definitely a before and an after moment. And it was like, <laughs> I remember, you know, we were talking, and I, this music was playing, and I was like, who's this? What's this? And, you know, then I got into the entire back catalogue, and then, you know, and that was around the time that he was turning himself into a symbol and writing slave on his cheek and all that stuff. And most people wrote him off at that point. And I just got deeper and deeper and deeper into him. Um, you know, his music is completely phenomenal, I think. And so really choosing a track is, was quite a random, um, you know, uh, quite a random exercise. But um, the last record he released before he died is Hit and Run Phase 2. And it is a phenomenal record. So any Prince fans out there who kind of have either been too bummed since he died to listen to his music or who never did listen to any music later than that, you know, 1980s period, just check this out because it's absolutely phenomenal.
this mighty good news. A brand new day is coming. So as chance would have it, yesterday I ended up on a Zoom um, conference uh, with um, actors from Ireland. Um, all uh-huh. the, yeah, it was a inter- really interesting one. I was invited by a theatre that I did some work with. And, um, and I just sat in, fly on the wall, listening to, I think it was 77 people talking on Zoom. Not everybody at the same time, obviously. But, not. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what was really interesting was... Um, it was a real high emotion about um, the fact that everybody's sitting at home and they can't do theater. And they, this fear of taking the time to be creative, that creativity is not coming out, all of that. Yeah. Uh, it, and, and it was incredible. It, it, there was different age groups and there was different, you know, producers, directors, actors, choreographers. It was amazing. It was amazing to listen in. Um, how do you see it now and how do you see what might or might not happen in the future? And how, how are you preparing for all that? Because we're all doing it within our own businesses. Yeah. How, you, what, how was that for you? Yeah. I mean, I, I think you've raised such an interesting point. And it, it, what I want to say kind of first of all about that is that um, I am learning not to wait for someone else to give me permission to be creative. Um, and it's very difficult if you're a, if you're a perform, performing artist of any kind, you generally have to wait for somebody to ask you to do what you want. And what this particular time is, is showing us is that you don't have to do that because so many people are just, you know, uh, filming themselves playing their guitar really badly at home and putting it out there because they just want to offer something. Um, and I've been involved in a, in a few little things like that and none of it, you know, I'm not claiming any of it is, is good, <laughs> but you know, there's a, there's a, was a hashtag on Twitter or is a hashtag on Twitter called reader sonnet. And I am reading Shakespeare sonnets and little, one minute videos, which I put on Twitter and Instagram. And, you know, they're really terrible with me with like no makeup, my glasses on terrible hair, you know, doing some Shakespeare because I just, I just want to do it. And it's kind of like, you know, (laughs) it's kind of like this gives me an excuse to do something that I might have felt a bit ashamed to do before because it, it wasn't any good or wasn't as good as it could be or whatever, but just do it, just do it. And there's a, you know, there's a wonderful thing. I don't know if you've heard of this called the show must go online. Yeah. And I watch you. I watch you on one of the evenings that you were doing a Shakespeare. Mm. Yeah. Henry the fourth, Henry the eighth. I can't remember. Henry the fourth, Henry the sixth part two actually was the one I was in. And, and uh, I think I'm going to be in another one. And, you know, but this is live Shakespeare. This isn't a recording by the national theater of one of their productions. And I, you know, Thank God those recordings are also available and everything else. But this is actually a live production. It's virtually unrehearsed. It's actors dialing in via Zoom from all over the world, Australia, America, the UK, Ireland, Iceland, Germany, I mean, from everywhere, performing this play and coming up with really quite... um, anarchic and inventive ways of doing it you know there's all sorts of little there's also you know like I was watching Titus Andronicus on Wednesday night and you know there's the scene around you know the final scene in the dinner table when they're eating the pie and you know the the children are baked in the pie and all that sorry spoiler alert and you know in this product in in this version of it it was sort of modern so there's a point in which everybody's getting their gun out and shooting other characters and so this is happening live over zoom so people have been given help to make a prop gun at home with what they would have at home um you know they're firing it down the down the screen the person that it the bullets aimed at is kind of reacting and dying and all of that and it just it it just really works in the weirdest way that i can't describe you know it, it your ability to suspend your disbelief is just absolutely you know happening and it's just it's it's great and so there are there are loads of these things and i think there can be loads more because i think i think a lot of fruitful things are going to come out of this which don't necessarily have to have to stop happening when this stops happening whenever mm. that may be you know yeah, um, fair enough but i think that the thing that's really 
really important. I suppose I want to say this. I, I um, earlier in the year I went to Los Angeles for it was going to be two months to to just kind of check things out there, and um, I had to. I, I came back early because I actually had some filming to do in Ireland, which by the time I got back had been cancelled. So I'm hoping that's going to get remounted at some point. But um, really, the, there is a very different attitude in America that actors have about their um, not only their ability, but their, their the necessity they have to to do their own work. You know, I mean, here we, you know, we think, oh God, could I, you know, maybe I could do a one woman show, or maybe I could do this or that. But there, they're just, you know, they're they're just they're not waiting for anyone to give them permission to do anything. They're just doing it, and whether it gets them anywhere or not, who knows? But they're they are being creative under their own steam, and we can all do that. We can all do that. Okay. Brilliant. And speaking of creativity, uh, one of my favorite bands of all time, Talking Heads, Burning oh. Down the House. Oh, Tell yeah. me about that one. Oh. Well, again, they're, they're another one of those, those bands that I was into at the time and just, you know, they were phenomenal. And it was, and they kind of also saved my life because, you know, I was, I was far too middle class to, to get into punk rock really. Um, <laughs> You know, I, I, uh, I, I, you know, couldn't complain about anything. And I have a, I have a vivid memory of I had this boyfriend, you know, at the time, and and uh, and he, you know, said, "Oh, do you want to go to a gig?" And I said, oh, "Yeah, absolutely." And so we met at the gig, and he was wearing a kind of ripped T-shirt, and he had a safety pin through his ear, and his hair all kind of gelled up in a Mohican, and I turned up in a kind of floral cheesecloth. <laughs> <laughs> Needless to say, that relationship did not flourish. But, um, <laughs> but you know, I was in a, I'm, I'm, I still am a hippie, basically. I mean, I believe in peace and love, you know. And, um, and so I found all that very difficult. But when Talking Heads came along, I was like, oh, my God, because they're just so funky. And they're just, you know, they're, they're, they're just so plugged into everything. And just, just, just the music is just so good, you know. So I got into them in a big way. Now, you mentioned the sonnet and uh, doing things online, and I suppose it kind of keeps the muscles going as well. Like, you know, you need to keep the... Yeah. Tell me about Shakespeare, and tell you why. Because I, I grew up in Italy, and we, I think we studied Shakespeare in Italian, whatever. I just didn't do anything yeah. for me. And uh, didn't do anything for me then. I, I struggle to understand it, and okay. I just can't see it, right? Okay. But as an actor... Uh, I'm assuming is Shakespeare is you have to know about it. You need to, or do you? Do you have well, a love for Shakespeare. I I have a love for Shakespeare, so I have a need to to okay. you know to do it and and all of that. But but no, I mean it is definitely not compulsory. Um, I mean I'm I just I would just love to ask you. Um, you say that it never did anything for you. Um, that was studying it at school. Have you ever seen it performed? Have you ever? I have. I've seen a few, okay. and uh, and I've tried, tried a few times. It just doesn't. Uh, doesn't. It doesn't register with me. <laughs> <laughs> and do you feel? I mean, is it is it something that you feel um, because you didn't have a good experience of it with school? That is it something that you feel? Oh, I know this is good for me. Therefore, I have to try and like it. Therefore, I'm getting. Is there that? No, I think what it is. It, no, I think what it is is um, it, it needs too much work to to be appreciated from my from my brain. Okay. okay. So you tell me as an actor okay. when I come to the theater <laughs> and I come and watch you because I watched uh, I think I watched half an hour the other night of the mm -hmm. Henry the Fourth the Sixth. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was great performance. Did anything register? No. Okay. Uh, so I mean, I mean, what I would say is that um, we do have this idea that 
Shakespeare is hard work and that's because we have ideas uh, because a lot of it is in verse and we have ideas about verse and oh God, poetry and, you know, a lot of the, um, uh, you know, a lot of the language in Shakespeare can be quite compressed. Um, you see, I think Shakespeare, I don't think Shakespeare needs to be understood. I don't think you need to understand every single meaning of every single word. Uh, and certainly no actor alive can actually express everything, you know, in one performance that is in there. I just think it's something that, um, you know, it goes back to what we were talking about, about how communication is, you know, there, there's, there's the, the top of the tip of the iceberg of communication, which is the text that's on the surface. And then there's everything that's underneath. And really as actors, if we're doing our job in storytelling, um, you should be able to watch a play in any language, not your own, of any writer. And you should still be able to understand the story. You should have a sense of who the characters are, what they're, what they want, what their desires are, what they need, and how they feel. And that all of that can be communicated um, by something other than the text on the surface. And so I think Shakespeare is just exactly like that. And, you know, I'm not an expert on Shakespeare. I, I love Shakespeare, and I, I've been lucky enough to do some Shakespeare in my professional career. But I think that you just, um, you know, it's so, it's some of it is difficult but some of it's very immediate and i think he is you know always writing about the human condition and uh you know we're all human beings so i don't know i would suggest maybe if you have an opportunity again to just let it wash over mm. you don't don't work at it don't feel you have to understand it on any level, mm -hmm. just let just let it happen around you. Let it, let it wash over you, and just see if that um, if anything happens by approaching it differently. I, okay, I don't know. I would love to hear if uh, that I'll, let you know. <laughs> I'll let you know. I'll let you know. But listen, that was a, a long winded way for me to ask you. Um, in so, if there's a girl or a guy out there, five or six or ten years old or fifteen years old, that wants to fool his his mother or her mother pretending to cry because he, he feels that um, or she feels whatever that it's uh, that's a, a calling <laughs> <laughs> there's a calling out there there's a passion that is bubbling in wants yeah. to be an actor what, what would you say to somebody getting into acting now because it's yeah. look it i know it's a passion it's almost a vocation it probably is a vocation yeah. uh, because Without having to ask you about your your well-being and finance, I just, as you said at the very beginning of the conversation, is is antimatch. One one mm. play, one film, one mm. series, but you're still doing it. You love doing it. What would mm. you say to somebody want mm. to get in into it? Um, I mean, it's it's really difficult. I mean, the kind of very flippant advice is don't do it. Um, and th there's some truth in that though because. Um, I think actors are born, not made. And if you if you have to be an actor, you have to be an actor. Mm. And it, it, it kind of, you know, you, you don't need your parents or anyone else telling you it's a dumb idea. I mean, my parents really didn't want me to do it. And um, you, but, but you just, you can't help it. It's in, it's in your blood. It's in your bones. It's what you have to do. And I, I've had my own battles with that, you know, throughout my career because, you know, uh, I, 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 you know, uh, have an intelligence and, you know, my intelligence says, why the hell are you doing this? It's absolutely <laughs> crazy. You could just have a perfectly nice life and make a perfectly decent living doing something else, you know. And occasionally I've tried that and it just doesn't work because it's just not me. Um, so, so if you have to do it, you have to do it and there's no cure. And, you know, may, may God go with you. And, and, you know, it's important to, to um, I guess, understand, you know, it's not about them liking you. It's just simply about, you know, whether you fit their idea of what the character you're, you're auditioning for, what bit of the story that character carries. You know, it's, it's, it's very... You know, it's it's not about likability and it's not even about getting jobs. You know, it's just about offering and sharing what you can and either that chimes or it doesn't. And if it doesn't, it's not about you. 
It's not about you. You know, I, I have made a practice in the past of if I go up for a job and I really want it and I think I could do it and I think I could play it and I don't get it. Um, I, I go and see that play or film or TV show or whatever it is. And I look at who did get it and, you know, it's sort of like, what is it about them that was better than me? You know, it was how I started that approach, but how I, what, very immediately became obvious is that the person they cast had very, very different qualities. They weren't better or worse. They were just very different. And the qualities that they had informed an aspect of the role that was absolutely right for that project. And it wasn't something that I would have brought. I would have brought different things, um, which are not better or worse. They're just different. So it's really, if you can, I sort of feel I'm old and ugly enough now to have reached the point where I really genuinely don't care most of the time whether I get jobs or not you know I'm delighted to be asked to come and play and if I don't get asked to come and play I really know that it's not me you know and I think that's a that's a very lucky place to be in as an actor because you know we're we're creatures of insecurity and and you know we do need to be liked (laughs) (laughs) well that's it that's a a great advice Uh, i really like that that's fabulous and just before i ask you about your last song i always ask everybody for uh, what i call the words of wisdom Uh, a quote anything gets you up in the morning or something that you resonates with you yeah i know i thought a lot about this um i did think a lot about this and i i've got it written down oh fantastic Um, you're not going to read me a sonnet are you (laughs) <laughs> shall i compare thee to a summer's day <laughs> no i'm not <laughs> no i will not inflict any more shakespeare on you um <laughs> no this is actually something from the Bhagavad gita and oh, yes. i'm i'm very into advaita and uh that kind of whole philosophy meditation and i teach meditation as well and all that stuff and so so this is something i i um, it, which is a big part of my life. And in the Bhagavad Gita, this is a translation, of course, um, but it says, the unreal never is. The real never is not. And I love that. I love that. Brilliant. Excellent. That must think about it again. Again and think <laughs> about it. There's, there's a lot in it. There's a lot in it. It's not. It's just. A, yeah. It's not just two sentences. Two. two no. Words. No. It's fabulous. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So then, your very last song is "Free Man in Paris," Johnny Mitchell. Yeah. 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 And um, I mean, another phenomenal artist, and and you know, another one I could have chosen any any number of you know any number of songs um, by Johnny Mitchell, but. I was a free man in Paris. Um, I always get a sense when I hear that song, I've been listening to it, you know, for decades, but I always get a a huge sense uh, of freedom from it because, you know, the song speaks about, you know, I'm just getting out of this kind of corporate life of, you know, my life as a artist or whatever. and, And I'm just walking down a street in a place where nobody knows who I am and I don't speak the language. And in that circumstance, you lose a lot of your kind of cultural reference points. You know, uh, you're not expecting to bump into anybody you know. Uh, you, you're not expecting to understand the conversation of pa- passers-by as you walk down the street. So you are totally free, you know, not just from your old life, but from all the references you use in relation to yourself about who you are. And so that song has always for me, been just a huge expression of, of freedom on all levels, really. And I love it. And it's a great song. Well, Lindsay, that was absolutely fantastic. I, I learned so much and I could talk to you for hours. But, oh, uh, well, uh, I really hope appreciate it. I hope I haven't bored anyone to death. But <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. It's, it's a great story and it's some great insight in, in your world, which uh, we don't normally hear. You know, mm. we only hear the... I don't know the the, the good bits, the you know, the, the golden <laughs> yeah. globes or whatever maybe. So I really appreciate your time, and I hope you you're well and stay safe. And thanks. Oh, again. great! Well, thank you, and you too. Stay safe, stay safe, and stay well. And it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to talk to you. And I I'm so honoured that you asked me to be involved, and I think it's such a great. Um, 
you know, project that you're doing. And it's just, it's, you know, lovely to be able to talk to you. So thank you very much for the opportunity. Popular song.